0: Welcome to the Uloft Podcast. This is Michael Bond. Okay, so we have a very special treat for you today on the podcast. We are bringing you the message from the most recent Unite, preached by Pastor Kendall Kersey. The message asks the question, why doesn't Jesus seem like enough? It's a very provocative question, but the sermon was very well received, and I think that you'll benefit from listening to it. So without further delay, I bring you Pastor Kendall Kersey.
1: I absolutely love worshiping with you guys. I love it. I'm encouraged by watching y'all just go after God. Just completely abandon, just say whatever. I'm going to use my body and my voice, whether it's good or not, and worship. Not saying any of y'all are bad at singing, uh, but (laughs) just saying it's awesome to see you guys worship because you could be doing anything else tonight. And you're here to meet with God and to hear from him. And that's what my prayer is tonight, is that as, as I speak tonight, that it's not my words, but that it's God's words that you're hearing. That this is not me. I'm asking God to take me completely out of it and to, to have him just fully in it. And you hear exactly what he wants to say to you tonight. We are continuing uh, our series of talks, really we will be for the rest of the semester, of frequently asked questions. So we're looking at questions that you might have or that you might have already submitted or uh, we might look at questions later on that you're going to submit. Um, but we're looking at frequently asked questions about the Bible, about Christianity, about God, about life in general. Um, not to get too far ahead of myself, but next month we're going to be talking about why does God allow suffering? If he's so good and so loving, why does that happen? So uh, I know that's in like five weeks, but uh, we already have that planned out. And tonight, we're going to be looking at a question um, that the way that I'm going to ask it might actually sound slightly heretical. So don't uh, throw stones at me. Um, I promise once you hear the rest of what I'm going to say, it's going to make sense. Okay. So don't be like, ah, that's a bad question. And we don't ask that in church. Okay. (laughs) Um, (laughs) It's going to not, it's not going to make sense right off the bat, but I I promise you uh, that God is faithful. And even if I babble up here, he's going to make it make sense. So, but I'm going to try not to do that. The question is, why doesn't Jesus seem like enough? Why doesn't Jesus seem like enough? Or even to further this question, maybe to give it some context, why do I keep doing the same things even after I've said the prayer? Confessed with my mouth and believed in my heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and that God raised him from the dead so I can be saved. How come I still live the same life? Why can't I get free? Why do I think, why do I feel like I'm still bound to my old life? And this is a big one in the context of this. Why do Christians still suck and do really sinful, damaging things? I tried to make that a little softer, (laughs) with throwing in a slight joke there. But seriously, why? Why doesn't Jesus seem like enough? I mean, we preach about it. I preach about it. Jesus is all you need. Jesus plus nothing is everything. Jesus is everything that you need to live a life of freedom, to be whole, to, to, to have a brand new life, to be transformed. We preach about that. And I want you to know that that is true. 100% that is true. But when we put this question in context, I think the reason that a lot of us, I'm putting myself into this as well, why a lot of us we come to church, we say we love Jesus, we, we are saved, we we've we've put our trust in him. We've put our hope in him, or maybe we're even thinking about it, but yet we just keep living the same life. And we hear about this transformation and we say, why is it not happening to me? I want you to know real quick that you are in good company if you are asking that question. Not because I've asked the same question, but because one of the forefathers of the faith, one of the greatest Christians in all of the world, if you can say it that way, in all of history, Whoa, excuse me. That was bad. In all of history, had a little cough in my throat. The greatest Christians in all of history who wrote most of the New Testament basically asked the same question. We're going to look at it real quick in Romans 7, verse 21 through 25. So why doesn't Jesus seem like enough? Why do I keep doing the same old thing even after I've said the prayer? And why do Christians still suck and do really sinful, damaging things? things to themselves to other people. This is what Paul says in Romans 7, verse 21 through 25 and it's going to be on the Sky Bible behind me. But if you have your Bibles, you can turn to it and highlight it or flip to it or open your app. It says this, I have discovered this principle of life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I mean, I could just stop right there. Like <laughs> Hey, anybody else? Like, are are we talking, are we looking in the mirror right now? Like, yeah, (laughs) like, get it together, man. Okay, I've said that before, right? (laughs) Throw up in the sink, look in the mirror, get it together, dude. Okay, so I, hey, I was in college once before too, okay? I have discovered this principle of life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all of my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Yeah, I mean, seriously, Paul? Like anybody, I mean, man, I, this is one of my favorite passages in the Bible because it shows me that even Paul struggled with the same things that I'm struggling with. And this is what he says. <laughs> what a miserable person I am who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God. The answer is Jesus Christ, our Lord. Paul went to Sunday school. He knows that the answer is always Jesus. The answer is Jesus Christ, our Lord. But then it's curious because he ends the phrase with this. He ends the whole chapter with this. In fact, he says, so you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. I love God's law. The answer is Jesus to save me from this life of sin and death. And I really want to obey God, but I'm still a slave to sin. So we see here that the answer is Jesus, but then why does he reconcile this thought with, yeah, but I'm a slave to sin? I'm willing to bet that a lot of us in here either have been or still are in the same exact spot that Paul was. Why do I keep doing the same things? Why does Jesus not feel like enough? Is there something I'm missing? Why do I still struggle with addiction? I want to stop having premarital sex, but really I can't. I want to stop hating people and slandering their name, but I just can't do it. I mean, I really want to, but, man, there's just this sin inside of me, and I feel like I'm a slave to it. I've been there so many times where I want to get free so desperately, but then I can't, and I'm just like, well, (laughs) I guess I'm just a slave then. God loves me anyways. Grace will cover it. His mercies renew every morning. I'll be okay, but I guess I'm just going to be a slave to this And we'll see what happens. But see, God has something so much greater for us. He does not want us to live in that slavery to sin. But we are sitting here asking, if Jesus is really the answer, then why do I feel like I'm failing the test over and over and over again? If he's really the answer to all my problems, then why are things the same? I know that I'm not alone in asking this question. And here's the deal. I believe... That many people, believers, especially non-believers, but definitely believers, many people are not living the fullness that Jesus gave them and not living in the freedom that Jesus gave them because they are missing out on the fullness of who God actually is. And because they don't know who God actually is, they don't know the identity of who God is. They don't know their own identity. And so they continue to identify with being a slave to sin. They don't recognize the fullness that God has in his son, Jesus. And so, instead of living a life that's full of joy and peace, in the midst of storms that's full of freedom, we live a life that's just, oh, it's okay. I mean, at least I'm going to heaven, you know. I I, I got my community and it's good and but we're missing out on the fullness of all that God has for us because we don't know who God really is. Let me break it down to you like this. So um, I'm going to actually have Tanner and Dan help me back here. You see, God is three in one. This is what I want you to understand about God and his identity is he is three in one. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And The Trinity is kind of hard to understand, so here's how I'm gonna help you understand it today. We are going to make a beat. That's right, Danny beats on the drums. We're gonna make a beat. And you might actually recognize this beat, um, but don't go listen to the original song because it's full of expletives. But anyways, uh, (laughs) um, just, yeah, don't do that. Uh, But this is the best way that I could come up with uh, tonight of describing the Trinity. So we have our life which is represented here by the drums. And our life is just moving along nice and smooth, a little heartbeat. I'm a drummer, so drums are life, okay? I love drums. Isn't that right? Drums are life. That's right. So drums are life. They represent a heartbeat. We're bebopping along, if you will, uh, to the beat of life, to the rhythm of life and we might make our way into a church or into a united service or into a U group, or maybe we heard something on the radio or on TV or on YouTube about God the Father. And this note right here represents God the Father. Okay? And God the Father, we hear about God. We hear that God loves us, that God um, created us. We hear that God has a special purpose for us. We hear that God is good, right? That God is faithful. And we hear all these things about God, but you see, it's just one note. And it's beautiful. It's still beautiful. It's beautiful, Tanner. It's still beautiful. It still sounds good. But we're missing out on the fullness of who God really is because it's not until we realize that God loved us so much that He sent His Son Jesus that we start to have a little bit of shape in our life. Okay? Now, we hear that Jesus came to die on the cross, live a sinless life, die on the cross, raise again, so that we might have life if we believe in him. And so our life starts to take shape. It's starting to sound good. I feel like I could almost uh, spit a couple of bars here. Nah, just kidding, I'm not gonna do that. (laughs) But I feel like I could almost spit a couple bars here. It sounds pretty good, I feel decent, I'm going to church, I'm in my Bible, it's nice, right? I'm going to U Group, it's good stuff. But I'm still missing something. Man, this beat needs something. It could be rounded out a little bit. And I realize one day when I'm at United on March 2nd, 2021, that there's this third person in the Trinity of God, and that is the Holy Spirit. And this allows the beat of life start to take shape and the identity of life starts to take shape because I realize that it is only through the power of the Holy Spirit that I am transformed, that I am made whole, that I am actually fully free. So God sent the son who left us his spirit so that we could actually live in freedom. And that is the Trinity. Give them a hand. That was good. So Real quick, I'm going to wrap it up pretty soon, but I want to read to you about what life in the Spirit looks like. So God the Father sent the Son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins and to be risen again. And Jesus told his disciples at the end, before he left this earth, he said, I'm going to give you someone else a helper, an advocate who is going to help you. And in fact, you're going to receive power to be my witnesses. And by the way, power to be my witnesses did not mean you're going to speak in a different language or you're going to start healing everybody at first. What it actually meant was to be a witness, that you will receive power because your life is completely changed and transformed and people will notice that you are made completely different and therefore you will be my witness. You won't talk the same way that people talk. You won't live the same way that people live. You won't think about the same things that people think about when you live in the power of the Holy Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit is not some little uh, you know fairy sprinkling fairy dust on people and giving them these weird gifts or, or making services weird no 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 the Holy Spirit is someone who gives power the Holy Spirit is God God the, the Holy Spirit is not God's it is God it is one and the same as God the Father and God the Son and we we will continue to ask the question of why do I keep tripping up? Why do I keep messing up? Why don't I feel like I can be free if we never acknowledge that there is a spirit living, indwelling inside of us? We will continue to live in condemnation and in shame until we realize that we are in Christ Jesus only by the Holy Spirit. So let me read this. Romans 8. And honestly, with the rest of my time, I'm going to read to you Romans chapter 8. And I'm going to say a few commentary things here on this. But I want you to understand that God's word can speak for itself. I don't need to do a bunch of stuff here. So I'm going to read you God's word. And I want you to open your ears and open your heart to hear what God has to say to you specifically. So Romans 8 chapter 1. Now remember, this is right after Romans 7, 21 and 25. Paul asked the question, hey, why can't I do the right thing? I want to do the right thing, but I suck. What a miserable person I am. Who is going to save me? It's Jesus. Yeah, but I'm still a slave. And this is how he follows it up. It's beautiful. Romans 8, verse 1. We just found out that we're still a slave to sin. And this is how he starts. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. You still feel like a slave to sin? Nah, that ain't you. If you belong to Christ Jesus, you are no longer that way because there is no condemnation. There is no shame. See, see uh, condemnation is not conviction. The Holy Spirit pulls us closer with conviction. Conviction is gentle. Conviction is soft. Con- conviction is the Father putting his hand on our back and saying, hey, come on, that's not you that's not your identity. But condemnation says, you're a terrible person. How dare you do that? I thought you were saved. Christians don't act like this. Condemnation is a mean voice. It's a degrading voice. But there's no condemnation for those who belong in Christ Jesus. Verse two, and because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death, has freed you. Verse 3, the law of Moses was unable to save us because of weakness of our sinful nature. So what he's saying, we learned this a month ago, you can't earn your way to God. You can't earn your way by doing everything right, keeping the Ten Commandments perfectly, because everybody's going to screw up with that. So you can't bank on that because you still have a sinful nature inside of you. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. So you want to know why Jesus doesn't feel like enough sometimes? It's because we continue to follow our sinful nature. And we don't follow the identity that we have in Christ, which is the Spirit. Verse 5, it says this. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. So if you want some practicality in this message, if you continue to think on your addiction and you continue to think on sex with your girlfriend, if you continue to think on pornography, if you continue to think on hate and bitterness, you're being led by sinful desires. I still sometimes am being led by sinful desires. But here's the awesome thing. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws, and it never will. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You see, if we leave it off with just uh, verse 8, that's why those who are still under the control of the sinful nature can never please God. If we stopped there, man, it'd be a crappy night. (laughs) You'd be like, man, that was rough. But verse 9 is the beauty in this. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong with Him at all. Verse 10, and Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of the sin, the Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. You have what? Been made right with God. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Just as God raised Christ from the dead, he will give you life to your mortal bodies By this same Spirit living within you, verse 1 through 11 sets it up and lets us know that every person who confesses Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and believes that fully in their heart, no matter who they are, no matter what they've done, no matter where they've been, no matter where they were yesterday, has the Spirit of God living inside of them. Every Christian within themselves, everyone who believes in Jesus within themselves has a greater power than their flesh. But a lot of the times, just like this beat, we only live on one note of life and we say, well, I said the prayer. Why isn't anything happening? And it's because we're not allowing the spirit of God to gently move us in a different direction. We're not allowing him to draw us to repentance. I love this quote that I read. Many sincere people are quickened but undelivered, but they are an undelivered soul in a struggle under a sense of duty, not a sense of full acceptance in Christ and sealing by the Holy Spirit. You see, many of us are still stuck in the condemnation and shame phase because we don't realize that we are true heirs with Christ, that we are sons and daughters of God the Father, made right to him, made right with him through the blood of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. And when we take one of those pieces of the Trinity out, we're missing something. And so we don't experience the fullness and the freedom that God has for us. Verse 12. And I highlighted this whole section, 12 through 14. Therefore, see verse 1 through 11. If you ever read in the Bible and it says, therefore, this is a preacher joke, Caleb, you're going to love it. You got to find out what it's there for. Ain't that right? Okay, so if you read a therefore, you got to find out what it's there for. I wish Dan was back there. <laughs> anyways, it says this. <laughs> Bro, you didn't get a... Anyways, y'all just do it back there. Y'all can sit down. I don't care. Okay, anyways. Verse 12. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters. Oh, man, I love this. I love this. So I'll tell you right now. I wasn't going to share a lot of stories because I got, like, no minutes left, but... Um, and when I was in the midst of my addiction, when I was in the midst of sexual addiction, when I was in the midst of this absolute despair of feeling like I would never be free of being an adulterer, when I was, felt like I would never be free of hatred towards myself, when I felt like I would never be free, I read this verse, and it gives me hope. And I hope, oh, dear God, I hope that it gives somebody hope tonight. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. You don't have to. You might think you have to, but you don't. Your flesh wants to. Your, your old sinful desire wants to, but you don't have to. And when I recognize that, that that's not who I am and I don't have to do this, that brings freedom and that brings life. And it's by the power of the Spirit. So it says this, verse 13, for if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. All who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. Now, being led by the Spirit of God is continued and progressive motion and transformation towards him. Being led by the Spirit of God is just, it doesn't matter uh, how little or how much you're moving, as long as you're moving a little bit, as long as you're still breathing a little bit. But it's not simply behavior modification. It comes from the inside. Paul didn't say, as many people as go to the temple and sacrifice, or as many people as go to church, or join a U group, or, or even preach the gospel. Okay, myself included. Or those who take communion, or those who pray all the time, they're the children of God. No, no, no. It says, those led by the Spirit are the children of God. So the test for the children of God is, are you being led to repentance? Changing your mind about the way that you live, turning the other way? Are you led into thinking of yourself less and of Jesus and other people more? Are you led into truth, real truth, not cultural or subjective truth? Are you led into love? true love? Are you led into holiness? Are you led into being equipped for the use of the kingdom? You see, all of this begins on the inside and transforms us from the inside out. In verse 15, and this is pretty much where we're going to close because, man, this is awesome. Verse 15. This tells us what our identity is in Christ, given by God, through the power of the Holy Spirit. So, you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Yes, Lord. You have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Remember when he left off with saying, I feel like I'm a slave to sin? He's reminding the Romans and himself even here. Nah, that's not you. You have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children, now we call him Abba Father, Daddy. That's right. And now I know there's memes out there about like people who say Daddy God are like weird. I mean, Donovan says it. He's cool. So, <laughs> but I, I don't know that I'll be saying that, but it is, but it is, uh, it's good. It's, 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 it's biblically Correct. Because this word, Abba, Father, really means like, I've heard it preached before and heard it spoken about before. This is really like a kid coming up to his dad with his arms open wide and saying, Daddy, pick me up. I love when I come home and my little one-and-a-half-year-old Grayson. Grayson, who I shouldn't even have. A testament to God's grace. When When I come home and I walk in the door and he goes, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. And he knows like, 15 words. So the fact that he knows me is so beautiful. And it's because he knows that I love him and he knows that I want to hug him and he knows that I want to give him a kiss, even though he kisses like a fish and it's really slobbery. Like, I want to do that. And it's because I love my son. And when I view this in this word, Abba, Father, that's what I view is like, God wants me to come to him like my son comes to me and says, Daddy, pick me up, hold me. Because there's an intimacy there, and the intimacy only happens whenever we are led by the Spirit, when we are free of condemnation and shame, when we understand and recognize that we have been adopted, adopted by Christ, or adopted by God. And I'm going to go into this in just a little bit, but verse 16 and 17 says this For this Spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. Now, let me not gloss over that. For this Spirit, for His Spirit, joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children, you don't have to guess. When you say Jesus Christ, I believe that you are Lord, I believe that you are the son of God. I believe that you died and rose again, and I want to have the life that you give. When you do that, you can be assured that God's spirit is aligned with your spirit, and it is affirmed in you that you are a part of God's family. And it's so beautiful. And verse 17 says this, and since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we share in this glory, we must also share in his suffering. Now, let me check this real quick. Adopted. I want to I teach you something here about the word adopted. He's writing to the Roman church. Paul is writing to the Roman church, the Romans. That's why the book's called Romans. That's not what I'm going to teach you. The word adopted here, okay, like we understand adoption, like we go to adoption agency. If you've heard my story, I've told you before that I had a son when, he was, uh, seven, or when I was 17 years old. He is 16 years old now, which is crazy. He's playing for a sectional championship tonight in basketball in Missouri. Shout out to Nolan. Anyways, um, he's 16 years old, and, uh, but, but we had to give him up for adoption, for him to have a better life. We gave him up for adoption. And so I have some understanding of this adoption, but we had to go through like agencies and all this stuff. And we ended up settling on this one family who had actually adopted his, his half-sister. And it's a beautiful story. It's of God's grace and God's goodness. Um, but, but here's the deal. We have this westernized idea of adoption, that we bring this outsider into our family. And yeah, he's still, you know, he's, he's a part of our family, but, but we don't have a depth of understanding that when someone is adopted, they take on a brand new identity, okay? And the Romans understood this because here's the deal. I want to read this. In in the Roman world of the first century, an adopted son was a son deliberately chosen by his adopted father to perpetuate his name and inherit his estate. He was not inferior in status to a son born in the ordinary course of nature, So that means in God's eyes, you were chosen not to be inferior to the way that he sees Jesus. How crazy is that? So we can imagine that Jesus has great communication with God the Father. We see it all throughout the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We see God. We see Jesus speak to God. And God speaks to Jesus very clearly. God speaking to God the Father, speaking to the Son, Jesus. And we're like, man, that's really cool. I wish I could be like that. Well, you can and you are. But here's a n- little further to understand adoption. Under Roman adoption, the life and standing of the adopted child changed completely. The adopted son lost all his rights in his old family and gained new rights in his new family. The old life of the adopted son was completely wiped out, with all of his debts being canceled And with nothing from his past counting against him anymore. It is good. And it's all God's plan. You see, when we put our trust and our hope in Jesus and we say, we want you to be Lord of our life, God. God is saying, "I've, I've chosen you. This moment was destined from the beginning of time. I've chosen you. Not to continue to live the life that you're living now, but to live a brand new life because I've given you the ability to do so. I've given you the inheritance that I would give my son Jesus because you are a son or you are a daughter. And as the band plays, I'm going to finish this out real quick. The rest of this chapter shows the benefits of living life in the Spirit. I'm going to read through it really quick, but I don't want you to miss out on anything. The rest of this chapter, again, gives the benefits that we've inherited, okay? We've inherited this because we are sons and daughters of God if we've put our trust in Jesus. That's the main thing. If we've put our trust in Jesus. We already have these things. They are not some, you know, way off, far off thing when we all get to heaven, okay? No, that's not what it is. It's a real, tangible thing that we have now. And it's because we've been made co-heirs of Christ. We've been made sons and daughters. (laughs) This is called the future glory. Verse 18, it says this, and remember, this is in the context of this is what living in the Spirit allows us to be able to do. Yet, what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory He will reveal to us later. The things that we're suffering in now is nothing compared to the glory that He will reveal to us later. You see, the Holy Spirit gives us the hope for a future, even when we are in the midst of our suffering. Verse 26, and the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father knows, or the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying, For the spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. So when you are so distraught and when you are just so strung out on your suffering or anything that you might be dealing with, and you don't even know how to muster up the words to pray and it's just, uh, God knows because the spirit is interceding for you. Man, I've been here before. I remember times I'm driving down the highway from work back to my house, just reading my dashboard in my truck just yelling because I wanted to be free so bad and I believe that those were even even in those moments they were prayers for God to free me and he did it because he knows exactly what we need and the spirit prays through us in God's perfect will verse 28 And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and who are called according to his purpose for them. I have this tattooed on my back and I got it when my son was adopted. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. For them. For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, he called to them. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. And having given them right standing, he gave them all of his glory. It is only by the Holy Spirit that we can have assurance of this. Finishing it up, nothing can separate us from God's love. Verse 31 What shall we say then about such wonderful things? All these things that Paul has listed out of life in the spirit. What shall we say about such wonderful things? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us as well, won't he also give up everything else? God didn't even spare his son. Don't you think he cares about you and you're hurting right now and you're suffering? He does. He sees it. And it's not for nothing because he works everything out for the good of those who love him who are called according to his purpose. Verse 33. Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. You can't even accuse yourself of being a screw up. Because God doesn't allow that. Verse 34. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us, and He is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Verse 35 Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? <laughs> Does it mean He no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or are hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? Oh man does it mean that he doesn't love us if we face a bad day no nothing can separate us verse 37 no despite all these things overwhelming victory is ours through christ who loved us overwhelming victory and here's the deal the holy spirit reminds us of this in our suffering (laughs) and to finish it out verse 38 and 39 and i am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow. Man, anxiety is such a huge issue in our generation right now. Yeah, I said our generation. I'm not that much older than you. Our generation, anxiety. But guess what? (laughs) Oh, man. Nothing, not even that, can separate us from God's love. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. So all this dissension in America, all this people at each other's throats, if Christians will stand up and show the love of God, he will be made known amongst us. He will be made known amongst the world. He will be made known because nothing is going to stop him from expressing his love. Indeed, <laughs> no power in sky or above or in heaven below, indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed to us in Christ Jesus our Lord. And the Holy Spirit seals all of this in our hearts. So, have you experienced a life like this? Or are you asking the question and have continued to ask the question, why doesn't Jesus seem like enough? Have you experienced this fullness, even a glimpse of it? have you experienced his fullness are you living led by the spirit or have you neglected that there even is a holy spirit in Acts 17 i believe it is in Acts 17 paul stumbles on these believers and he knows they're believers somehow but he asks them because there's something a little off about them and he asks them hey have you have you uh been baptized by the holy spirit like do you live by the spirit and they tell him we did not even know there was a spirit But whenever he explains to them about the Holy Spirit, that that Jesus Christ died and and rose again, and and that's how they have new life, and that's how they're believers in Jesus, but yet to live in the Spirit is transformation and is a freedom. A revival breaks out in their land. It's amazing. Read it. Acts 17 and, and, and chapter 18. It's one of my favorite stories in the whole Bible. But if you experience this kind of life, and I want to read this so I make sure I get it right. Accepting Jesus is the starting line, not the finish line. And that's sometimes hard to reconcile with because in, at least in my evangelical culture, usually we stop with, oh, they raise their hand, they believe in Jesus, good. And we just stop there. But that's not the finish line. The finish line is seeing Jesus face to face one day. The finish line is is seeing all the people that get to come with you and party in heaven. That's the finish line. But the starting line is just as beautiful. Because now you know that you can start in freedom. Start living life fully. So here it is. Accepting Jesus is not the start or is the starting line, not the finish line. The Holy Spirit is the one who enables us to run and finish the race. To live life in the spirit. We choose daily to lay down our own desires for God's because we believe in faith and hope that his ways are better, that he does work all things out for us, that nothing can separate us from his love, that we actually are victorious and that we don't have to live dominated by shame and that we are not obligated to live sinfully. So, the question is, at the end of the day, have you experienced this life Or are you stuck continuing to ask, why doesn't Jesus seem like enough? We're going to sing a song, and after this song, I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond. But as the team sings this song, do not move from this moment. Allow God to speak to you. Have you experienced this life? Or are you stuck continuing to ask, why am I still in this place? So let's sing, or as the band sings, let's reflect. And in just a moment, I'll come back up here and I'll give us some instruction.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of the Uloft Loft Podcast. I just want to remind you all, if you haven't already, you should join a U Group. These are small gatherings of young adults that are very fruitful and fun to be a part of. I think that they will really change your life. So you can join a group by going to unitediup.com forward slash U Groups. Also, don't forget to come out to the Unite, which is the first Tuesday of every month. It starts at 7.27 p.m. at the Indiana Theater on Philadelphia Street. Thank you all for joining us, and we will see you in the next episode.